Coming up, Ashland High School's Truth to Power Club's Fresh Eyes podcast explores the recent spate of false school shooting reports at Southern Oregon schools and around the country. It's a practice known as swatting. Fresh Eyes offers first-person stories of a school lockdown. It was 8.45 a.m. on February 21st, 15 minutes into our first class of the day, when an announcement came on over the loudspeakers. Benjamin Bell, principal of Ashland High School, instructed all teachers to check their emails, revealing that we were beginning a lockout. You're listening to Fresh Eyes, where we explore regional issues from a youth perspective. In this episode, we discuss the recent swatting calls throughout Oregon. With interviews from local police, students, and parents, we analyze what swatting is, a purposefully false report of gunfire on school campus. We also look into the effectiveness of school procedures like lockouts, where occupants lock doors and continue classroom activities, and what dangers come with the increased prevalence of swatting. Fresh Eyes is brought to you by Truth to Power on Jefferson Public Radio. I'm Isadora Malay. And I'm Simone Starbird. In the moments following our principal's announcement, teachers and students were at a loss for how to respond. After 15 minutes, our school announced that the lockout was lifted and there was no threat. It was a hoax call, a swatting. Little did we know, our school was one of several throughout Oregon that had been targeted by this, quote, swatting. My name's Aurora Graham, and I'm a junior at Ashland High School. Well, we got an announcement saying, teachers, check your email. And then my teacher pulls up the email on the big projector. And so we all see it, and it just says in all caps, teachers, lock your doors right now. And that's all it said. And we all saw it. And so that was a little scary. And then... The teacher locked the doors and turned off the lights. Another PE class came in, and so the room was, like, packed with people. My name is Jennifer Rader, and my daughter attends Ashland High School. I was, I was in court. <laughs> Jury duty. <laughs> and we broke for lunch, and all, I get all these alarms going off on my phone about swatting and no information from the school no information from the district and so i'm just panicking trying to get a hold of my daughter trying to make sure she's okay with this school's campus being so open she and i have a a plan she's not going to shelter in place she's going to get off campus and where we're going to meet up yeah it's a terrifying feeling not being able to get to your child We talked with Ashland Police Chief Ty O'Mara about what happened the day of the swatting from the perspective of Ashland law enforcement. We got a call a little bit after 8.30 in the morning of someone shot in a classroom at the high school. The high school is basically across the street from the police station, so officers were there within about 30 seconds. The high school went into a lockout. We started checking all the buildings, and as we were doing that, we got word that a similar call came into Medford, which kind of gave us a moment's pause that maybe there wasn't anything to it. These calls were made to high schools in Ashland, South Medford, Roseburg, Hermiston, LaGrande, Baker City, and Ontario. All of them reported the same thing, shots fired with possible victims. Law enforcement thoroughly investigated each report and determined all of them to be false. There was not a single shot fired at any of the schools. My name is Jeff Kirkpatrick, and I am a lieutenant with the Medford Police Department in Medford, Oregon. So Ashland was the first call, at least in our region, 
we knew that because that comes through ECSO. So our dispatchers had said, oh, this is happening in Ashland. We have at the Medford Police Department in our relationship with our school district, a school resource officer in each high school and each middle school. So immediately when that call came in, our school resource officers went to work in their school. Even before we got a call about South Medford High School, that school resource officer, the campus monitors, the school administration had started a response to like, hey, let's just go check on our school. When that call was updated to like, oh no, this is happening at South Medford High School, they never had to go into lockdown. They never had to notify a student body. They said, nope, that's not happening here. While the Medford Police Department says that there was no lockdown at South Medford High School, the experience of students doesn't follow this narrative. The causes of this miscommunication between MPD and South Medford High School are unknown, but it does demonstrate how critical giving specific and clear instructions are during these school shooter threats, along with how easily unclear communication abounds. My name is Quinn Hall, and I'm 17 and a senior at South Medford. There was like misinformation about it, like students were saying one thing, teachers were saying another. It was at lunch, and the alarms went off. It was something over the loudspeaker, and it took us a couple of repetitions to be able to actually understand what it was saying. And then we realized, like, oh, I could tell, like, everybody was pretty scared, and I was too. I'm Owen Foss. I go to South Medford High School. I'm in 11th grade. I am 16 years old. It was really weird for us. What had happened for me to figure out what was going on is that I was in the commons and I see a like a horde of students like flushing in from the courtyard and they're all going into the offices and going upstairs. And then I learned it was a lockdown because they had teachers that were guiding people toward rooms and things. It was really weird because there was no like official like announcement. It was just everybody moved to where they were going. But we, we probably stayed in there for like 15 minutes or so until we were able to come back out. But for the rest of the day, they were sort of like the cheerful presence over the school. You're going to have that like weird sunken feeling for the rest of the day at that point. For me personally, in this like state that we're in, in this country where it's like, I've just kind of like accepted that it's a possibility that can happen, which is like not good at all. It's not something that you should have to accept like that, but it's um, that's how I was feeling in the like moment where it's just like, well, I mean, it's kind of like all I can really do. Worst case scenario, I have to jump out a window. It's just sort of something that's like always in the back of my head. Like we need to prepare for if a school shooter happens, just like you have to prepare for if a fire or earthquake happens. We're sort of relegating this as if they're natural disasters. The experiences of students in this incident depended largely on their class and teacher. At Ashland High School, many teachers engaged in a lockdown process rather than a lockout, which was the intended procedure. This could have been a result of teachers not knowing the difference between the two or a lack of clear communication from the school on what procedure to follow. No matter the cause, it is clear that all teachers were not on the same page, demonstrating that more effective systems must be considered to better prepare for school shooting threats. Lockdown is the most extreme response. It's doors get locked, lights go off, maybe you barricade the door, shelter in place, which means you're, you're hiding because that's the highest level threat that we have. And I, I know that some teachers did, in fact, go into lockdown. The intention was for everybody to go into lockout, which is we don't know what's going on. We need to exercise some caution. So all students go back into your classroom, lock the doors, but go about your business. Owen Foss, student at South Medford High School, recalls his experience with the lockdown. 
we were given no information until about maybe one or two days afterwards. All we were aware is that it wasn't a drill. So there were some students that were listed like goofing off and there were students that were super worried. It was a really weird like dichotomy that was going on in our little like lockdown rooms. The school could have been a lot clearer about what it actually was both during the event and after. I still don't really even know what went on. I think more information would help people feel less anxious and afraid. School was not quick at responding to parents' concerns or giving us the all clear. While AHS parents did not seem to receive clear communication during the swatting incident, the same day on February 21st, AHS Principal Benjamin Bell did send an email out to all parents explaining the situation after the fact. Then, that Friday, February 24th, in a weekly newsletter to the whole school, he wrote, quote, Teachers and students reacted quickly, which ensured a safe environment as quickly as possible. While we can't stop unforeseeable events like the swatting prank that our school was targeted for, we absolutely take the responsibility of protecting our students and staff very seriously. Medford School District published a message on their website regarding the lockout, stating, quote, When we received this call, our SROs and Medford Police worked quickly to make sure we had coverage in our buildings. Because of our partnership with Medford Police, we were able to swiftly determine this was a hoax call and the school day was able to continue as normal. Many of our interviewees expressed that before this incident, they had never heard of the term swatting. We wanted to learn how the word is defined by law enforcement and how it's generally dealt with. Additionally, we wondered what clues led MPD and APD to discovering that the call was an instance of swatting. Swatting is basically when uh, somebody or an entity calls a dispatch service or a police department and reports that a major incident is happening and that major incident is something that requires a lot of resources. We get accidental 911 calls all the time, but an actual deliberate call that there's a violent situation going on that's just completely fabricated is pretty unusual. And there were certain things about that call that it was very clear that it wasn't true. The person who called and was talking to the dispatcher said to the dispatcher that the dispatcher was like, that doesn't make sense. Mispronunciation of road names not knowing particular names of places and people that they should know the names to. And so it became very clear to us like, wait, th- this isn't this isn't adding up. And that maybe while we're still going to direct resources to it, maybe not all of the resources right away. There's no reason to believe that it was somebody in Ashland. You know, one of the things that we found out is that that same number had been used to call various police departments in Massachusetts um, in the weeks prior to our incident. The person could be in Ashland, but they could just as easily be in Roseburg or Medford or Massachusetts. These are much more difficult cases nowadays because you're getting them from all over the place, all over the country. They're calling from different jurisdictions, like who's got jurisdiction over this? Is it where the call was placed from or is it, the co- or is it where the call was placed to? With current technology providing an anonymous buffer to callers, people who perform swatting have become emboldened. The National Association of School Resource Officers published a statement saying that, quote, While nationwide statistics on these criminal events are not readily available, in 2013 one FBI official estimated that hundreds were occurring each year, including locations other than schools, end quote. The possibility of these swatting calls being bigger than a sick prank intrigued us and made us curious about what others thought might drive someone to make a deliberately false call to a small town police station. It could be a diversionary tactic that they, to 
make sure all police officers in town or go to point A while they, they want to do something at point B. If you look, you know, kind of throughout history at uh, domestic terrorism type things, it's usually somebody who is upset with the status quo or upset with the government, they just want revenge. This is probably mostly something that has begun to happen through uh, advent of internet. You're giving of anonymity to certain people that maybe are going through certain mental health struggles or going through certain depressive episodes. Even some people that are just like, psychopathic in a sense and just are seeking attention a way of means of getting attention is saying hey i caused this incident i i think people can be attention seeking without necessarily having their identity exposed because they can at least live with i guess their own personal satisfaction that they've they were the cause of an event and i guess that the fact that something they did is brought to attention of the world is attention enough for them Swatting is not only inconvenient, it has real consequences in the lives of students, parents, and educational staff that only get worse as it becomes more and more prevalent in schools. When a police department gets a report of something, we respond a lot of resources to that. And when we do that, the rest of the city is left without those resources. And then you look at the mental factor that those things have, especially on students. Like every time that a school goes into lockdown, there are students that experience significant anxiety and, and significant issues that, that come with that, not knowing what the outcome is, not knowing what's happening, and knowing that this could be a super violent, nasty event. Um, that leaves a mark on people. Oh, it's definitely a boy who cries wolf. And enough instances, it's not going to be taken seriously. And then when it does happen, you're going to have something like Uvalde, where they just stand outside the perimeter and wait and wait. Based on the way our interviewees have described what happened in Oregon schools on February 21st, it's clear that had there been a real threat on any of the campuses, students would have been in a real danger, not only due to the risk of being shot, but due to the lack of adequate communication and instruction between administration, teachers, and police. While this is important to work on, swatting and the very real possibility of a school shooting won't be remedied by communication. Concrete change and tangible results will come from policy decisions on local and national levels. In our next episode of Fresh Eyes, we'll be exploring how students and parents feel about gun violence in America and what preventative measures are necessary to ensure students' safety at school. You've been listening to Fresh Eyes, brought to you by Truth to Power on Jefferson Public Radio. This podcast was produced by Isadora Malay and Simone Starbird, with music by Danielle Opresti.